Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Stigma. I'm Ciara Minova, your host, and this week, in line with Eating Disorders Awareness Week, we will be discussing the relationship between food, ourselves, and our bodies with our clinical psychologist, Alina Vasilake. Let's get started. Now, most people don't even think there is a relationship with food or the foods they eat, but there really is. The way we eat, how we eat, what we eat, these are all factors that determine our relationship. And luckily for many, they have what we call a healthy relationship with food, which isn't actually about healthy eating. We'll, we'll talk about what that is. But others, both men and women, have what can be viewed as a negative relationship with the foods they eat and in the worst case scenario, develop an eating disorder. So today we'll be discussing what we mean by healthy and unhealthy relationship with food. We'll briefly touch upon the different types of eating disorders and some ways of developing a balanced relationship with it. I do want to give a disclaimer that if you do suffer from an eating disorder or you think you have a very negative relationship with food, it is important you seek professional help. Elena, thank you so much for being here. Hello, everybody. As always, uh, my pleasure to be here. Very excited about this topic, as all of them. Very important one. And uh, definitely very um, well mentioned there. Whoever is suffering from any of the, of the points we're going to mention here, please, please do seek uh, support and help. Thank you for that. Now, Alina, it's no secret that our society is obsessed with body size, weight, diet, and, you know, in general about our appearance, and social media doesn't help with that either. But dieting is so normalized that we barely consider or, you know, bat an eyelid at someone who weighs themselves daily or cuts out entire food groups or eagerly joins the latest fad diet. And in this environment, I think it can be easy to forget what a healthy attitude towards food and eating actually is. And having a healthy relationship with food is not only about eating certain foods or having certain amounts of foods that you're allowed to eat. As someone who suffered from an eating disorder, I know that healthy eating isn't that. So how would you define healthy eating? Good, good uh, point to start with, the normal or healthy eating. Um, before explaining a little bit more um, on this uh, point, yes, indeed, I want to emphasize a little bit more the fact that we are uh, victims, I can call <laughs> us all victims of a society that somehow, um, it's interesting, we, we don't realize it, but the society unfortunately makes us suffer a lot um, in an area of our life where suffering should not be present, such as eating, because obviously eating is a, is a basic uh, of our life, um, is giving fuel to our bodies, so we cannot uh, exist without it. But unfortunately, we do live in a society where there's a lot of pressure on the weight, on the figure, on, um, you know, all these messages, incorrect messages of what we should do, what we shouldn't do, um, um, and a lot of stigma, of course, and a lot of discrimination based on this, directly or indirectly, we all receive it. Um, and again, I have to say it as, as I cannot say it uh, clearer than this, but uh, it's a business at the end of the day, because if we, if we think about it, mm -hmm. uh, food has become, uh, especially in the countries and societies where uh, food is very, very highly available, 
it has become a business, so it's uh, it's overly overly uh, emphasized. Everything we do has to do with food. The food has amplified flavors, um, so it's mm-hmm. very easy for us to fall into this pattern of of um, you know stepping away from the normal eating. Um, and uh, at the same time, we need to remember that neurologically, our brain is actually not prepared for this incredible availability of food everywhere around us. Mm. And again, I'm talking mostly about those societies where uh, those countries where the food is fully available. But these are the uh, places where we see uh, uh, increase in the, the rate of eating disorders as well. And... Uh, so neurologically, our brain will always try to uh, somehow survive, right? Is that surviving mechanism that is the most important one? So it will will basically eat as much as possible. If there is availability, our brain will go for it somehow. So we are victims between uh, a brain that makes us eat as much as possible or takes us towards that point and a society that uh, emphasizes uh, on on or gives us a huge availability of food, but at the same time criticizes us for not keeping, um, you know, things under control. We are in the middle, literally, of all of this. And if people are not very careful, we we can easily fall victims in this trap, yeah? Um, So back to the idea of uh, what is healthy eating. Well, I always tell my people, healthy eating, number one, thing that we need to pay attention to is anxiety, fear, stress, suffering should not be present in this area of our life when Mm -hmm. it comes to eating, how we eat, and um, including uh, our body, right? So if if we suffer, if we experience any emotional discomfort, already that's a question mark. And definitely if there's anxiety at the table, as I like to say it, mm-hmm. that is not okay. Yeah, something is going on. Um, of course, that doesn't mean necessarily that I already have an eating disorder if I'm a little bit anxious, but it's uh, already a problem. And healthy eating, let's go back to the basics. Regular meals are very important. Okay, so we should have regular meals, uh, normal portions, Uh, I eat everything and anything but in moderation and a little bit more towards natural food rather than this amplified, exaggerated flavors. Um, And uh, I eat regular. I don't skip meals. I do not delay. I do not restrict. Um, So in this this manner, I I keep myself... and, And I let my body basically decide. So healthy eating means... Some days I will eat more. Some days I will eat less. Mm-hmm. Some days I will, um, you know, overeat even in certain situations. Um, some days I will, uh, my body will ask me for specific, um, you know, uh, flavors or components. Maybe one day because I, I've been doing a lot of uh, exercise and sweating and I've been outside, whatever, whatever. Maybe my body is asking for uh, products that have more salt. The idea is to have intuitive eating. So to let your body talk mm-hmm. to you and give you those signals of what you need rather than mentally um, control what you're eating. Yeah. 
Yeah, 100%. Um, you really highlighted the misconception about healthy eating, which isn't always about healthy foods, but it's more about not having guilt or shame or anxiety, as you said, about the foods that we eat and sometimes eating more, sometimes eating less, depending on, you know, the, what our body needs. But what I find interesting is that more or less, you know, in the same society, which you spoke about with the same messages and, you know, foods and all that, some people go ahead to develop an eating disorder or a negative relationship with their body and the food that they eat. And some people don't. So what are your thoughts on, on this? Mm, very complicated answer. Uh, there's no, no such thing as a simple answer here because, again, each person is a different world, as I mentioned this before. And for each person, different factors can play a role in actually developing an eating disorder or not developing. Definitely, we look at, uh, you know, in, in our intervention, we kind of look at three categories of factors. Um, the specific predisposing factors that have to do with personality style, um, have to do with, let's say, if I think about uh, people that develop an anorexic mindset, they tend to be quite perfectionist, they tend to be quite anxious, they tend to be, mm -hmm. um, to like have uh, things in control, under control, they're mostly rational and structured and so on. So those are almost like uh, personality traits that will give us the predisposition, so predisposing factors, but in the predisposition, I can also have a childhood. So messages that I've received from, from my childhood, from my family, let's say that one of my parents had an eating disorder. This, we see it a lot. There's no such thing as um, a severe eating disorder in one of the parents or both of them. That will be reflected somehow in, um, in the children. So they'll have a difficult relationship with food as well, for sure. Or let's say somebody in the family suffered from a condition where they were forced to be very careful with their diet and how they eat. Definitely that can impact the whole family. Um, but uh, I can also have experiences in childhood or during school where I've been bullied because of my body image or because of, uh, you know, certain aspects of my, of my figure, um, so, so many, you know, environment, again, messages from the society, models, media, as you mentioned before, right, that has a huge impact. And actually, mm -hmm. we do work on this influence from, uh, from the media with people that suffer from uh, negative body image. And we literally tell them to stop following these amazing people on media, because is that um, cognitive distortion compare and despair that we mentioned in our episode of cognitive distortions mm -hmm. um, that plays a, a huge role in giving them a lot of emotional suffering. Um, again, so these are all predisposing factors. Yeah, some of them I've mentioned, but there's so many others that I, I haven't mentioned here. Uh, then we have precipitating factors. So in general, there's something that will uh, make the eating disorder kind of come um, you know, be activated. They mm. activate the, the precipitating factors. They can activate an eating disorder. It can be a life uh, change. Uh, it can be a trauma. It can be a puberty. So changes in my body that are natural, but the, re the way I react to those changes 
um, is not a um, normal way. So those are precipitating factors. And after that, what we have are perpetuating factors. We call them the three Ps, yeah? So yeah. predisposing, precipitating, and perpetuating factors. Um, and basically, these are traps of the eating disorder, where the eating disorder continues to function simply because I'm trapped in those incorrect behaviors and incorrect mindset of the typical eating disorder, whichever it is, that keeps it going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and one thing here, I took note uh, because you mentioned it at the beginning of our podcast and you said that men also suffer from eating disorder. Yes. So men, actually, I can say <laughs> they suffer more because, again, the typical thing, they go and ask for help less or they are um, expecting from themselves to be stronger when it comes to to uh, all the emotional uh, part of the things, but uh, they actually suffer. There are a lot of them suffering from eating disorders out there. Oh, wow. That's very interesting. I didn't know actually men suffer more so than than women, but it does make sense when you think about it because men do have, in a sense, more pressure. Well, actually, women do as well. It, it's uh, We both have pressures in our own ways, but exactly, it's, it's more to highlight that it's not only a, a disorder that women suffer from in, you know, in contrary to popular belief, because a lot of the times we think that eating disorders are only targeted towards women. So yes, yes, actually, my, my the most severe cases that I uh, had to deal with in eating disorders were men. Because again, they uh, have this message from the society that they have to be tough on themselves mm. um, and they have to be strong enough to deal with their own emotions and anxiety. So in general, they wait until uh, very late to come and ask for help and support. Yeah, it also could be that they, because they can't speak about their emotions, because they bottle so many things inside, they use food as a way of release, right? We we know there's a thing called emotional eating, which we'll talk a little bit about later, but it could also be that you know eating disorders develop or that relationship develops because of suppression of emotion. For sure, but, for sure. Yeah. So you talked about how the three P's and how some people go on to develop eating disorders, but we know that disordered eating is not the same as an eating disorder, although the behaviors can be quite similar. Can you tell us the more or less the difference between disordered eating and eating disorders? And then maybe walk us very briefly on the three most common eating disorders, which I believe are anorexia nervosa, bulimia, and then binge eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, this is also a great point. Not everybody that will have a difficult relationship with food or some kind of abnormal, and I don't like to use this word abnormal mm-hmm. because who says that normality, but yes, some, uh, let's say difficult relationship with food. Um, not everybody that will experience this will develop an eating disorder. And I uh, work a lot of the times with people that simply have an incorrect pattern or incorrect behavior towards food. Um, So, um, okay, I'll mention a few of them. We can have people that uh, have a chaotic style of eating. We can have people that uh, go into abnormal timings of the meals or the snacks or having a lot of snacks but not the main meals. Um, uh, or they are overly involved in the food preparation, um, kind of an obsession about the food, um, or they excessively use condiments, or they um, overestimate or underestimate the portion sizes, 
um, and they have a lot of confusion around how much to eat. Um, it can be that they actually fill up too much on very, very low energy foods. And again, here we are victim of a society that offers us a lot of these foods that are low fat, skim mm-hmm. milk, uh, you know, uh, artificial sweeteners. Yeah. yeah. So if we go into an excessive use of this uh, products also that is incorrect and sci- uh, science actually proves that uh, long term they will uh, increase our weight actually and this is information that a lot of people they will not know because it's from the you know all the medical studies but is uh, is um, is proven already that all these products long term will make us put on weight um what else? People that excessively eat on fruits and vegetables because, you know, they feel safer on those. Um, beverages, mm. the same. Water, diet, soft drinks, excessive intake of caffeine to suppress hunger. Yeah. Um, and simply that chaotic. So you see there's so many, so many behaviors around food that can be incorrect. Um, the delaying of the meals is a, is a big one. Skipping the breakfast is a big one. Um, so it can be just one of this or several of this, and the person uh, did not develop an eating disorder. Because again, what's the most important aspect to say that I have an eating disorder? There's a lot of and clinically significant emotional suffering. Mm-hmm. If I have clinically significant emotional suffering, uh, then I can say I have an eating disorder. And especially there's um, always a negative body image also involved there. Yeah. So these are very, very important points um, to uh, classify it as an eating disorder. But then we have a lot of people that have incorrect or difficult relationship with food that do not have this suffering necessarily. Yeah. Um, and you asked me to mention a little bit about the main eating disorders, right? Yes. Um, and I and I do believe we should uh, take it one by one on separate episodes because definitely they can be quite different. Absolutely. Um, well, the most, um, you mentioned the three of them, the most uh, known ones, anorexia nervosa. So here basically what we have um, are people that restrict their energy intake. So they restrict a lot. Um, the calorie intake um, compared to the requirements um, of their body weight. Yeah, so they desperately try to keep their body under that body set point. Yeah, um, so genetically we are predisposed to have a specific body set point. Again, people suffer their whole life. Sorry, I'm, I'm stepping out a, a little bit here from the definition of anorexia, but uh, I want to explain. Uh, the idea of the body set point, yeah? Mm-hmm, so yes. some, somehow the whole society today um, have this goal in their life of losing weight. So they spend their whole life with this constant goal of losing weight. And I always teach my people that we should not have that goal in life. You, we can have, create other goals in life, so many, right? Beautiful ones. <laughs> um, actually, the... Um, we are predisposed, just like our brain knows where to stop us in terms of our height when we reach adulthood, it's exactly the same with the weight. Our brain knows where it's going to stop us at a body set point, we call it, in terms of our weight, right? So during adulthood, we're not supposed to constantly try to lose weight. We're supposed to maintain our weight, 
Yeah, definitely there will be periods of time where I'm going to increase that weight, let's say ladies that get pregnant. But actually, if ladies do, did not mess up their body set point before or after the pregnancy, the, their body will just come back to the natural body set point Yeah, without making any efforts. Um, and this body set point is a margin, of course, so we'll, we'll be 2 kg under, 2 kg over, but it will stay in the same range during your whole adulthood, yeah? Uh, with a little bit of an increase kind of every 10 years as the age continues, yeah? Mm-hmm. So, um, definitely in people with anorexia nervosa, they'll desperately try to, and they will manage through restriction to put themselves under the body set point, and they will have a marked low body weight. Yeah. And uh, in anorexia nervosa, what we see is an intense, intense fear of gaining weight or becoming fat. It's almost like a fat phobia. Okay. Um, And a persistent behavior. It's almost like their whole life becomes this persistent behavior to avoid weight gain, even though they are already at a very low weight. But there's also a very clear disturbance uh, in the way they see their body or their, the body shape or the body weight. So they will not realistically see uh, where they are, where they stand in terms of the body weight. Now, it, with anorexia nervosa, we have two types. So we have a restrictive type where on, they only restrict the food. Um, but there's also a subtype where there are subjective binges and purging type. Yeah, So they will have subjective binges. And here I have to make the difference between subjective and objective binge. Um, Subjective binges means that they believe they binge. They believe they eat a lot, Mm. but actually they don't. They eat a lot compared to their restrictive uh, Mm. criteria. And purging means, uh, doesn't mean necessarily only self-induced vomiting. It can also mean excessive exercising. That can be also play the role of of a purge, yeah? And we also have a typical anorexia where we have normal body weight. This is very important because there, we have a lot of these cases out there. So there is a normal body weight, but a very strong anorexic mindset. Yeah. In general, the post-bariatric surgery uh, patients or clients, they will have this um, atypical anorexia. Also people that have something that we call anorexia atletica because they have normal BMI, normal body weight, but actually um, very low fat percentage in their body and very high uh, muscle mass, which uh, is also an incorrect balance. Uh, medically speaking, the body and psychologically, the body cannot function well there. Okay, so that's anorexia. Bulimia nervosa, here we have basically there's still that strong, strong, exactly the same anorexic mindset, but it's almost like um, the people that suffer from bulimia nervosa, they cannot keep that control constantly that anorexics can. So they yeah. will have recurrent episodes of binge eating with a sense of lack of control. And they also go into compensatory behavior. And they're constantly battling between these two. Yeah, definitely there's that self-evaluation um, uh, with negativity towards body shape and body weight. And there's definitely that disturbance in the, uh, in the way they see their, their body. But uh, here, the the people that suffer from bulimia, they'll constantly be in this battle of, uh, I want to restrict, but I lose that control on restriction. So I do have those episodes of binging, but then I go into uh, self-induced vomiting or excessive exercises or use of laxatives to to, uh, reduce the anxiety. Okay. Binge eating disorder, 
the third one you mentioned there. Here we have repeated episodes of overconsumption of food. So there's a, there's, there are these objective binges where the person eats huge quantities without a control. They really have this sense of um, they're out of control. They cannot really stop themselves until they're physically sick. And there's a significant discomfort, emotional discomfort, after having one of these uh, binges because they feel guilt and they feel disgusted and they feel horrible about themselves and anxious. Um, and um, the frequency uh, should be at least once a week for three months. Yeah, So they're very, very frequent. Uh, that's why we place the diagnosis of a binge eating disorder. Yeah, And then there are other specified feeding and eating disorders that you haven't mentioned. They're more specific ones and they go mm -hmm. into this drawer of, you know, they don't really meet the exact criteria, but there are many others. Yeah, uh, One of them, because we've mentioned about the um, um, behaviors that are incorrect towards, uh, towards how we eat, um, diabulimia is one of them. This is uh, for people that have type 1 diabetes and they intentionally misuse the insulin for the weight control. This is actually classified as, mm -hmm. and it's not very well known, but it's a clear eating disorder. Yeah? Wow, yeah. Uh, these Sorry, are... a lot of information in no. one go, but definitely we can focus on each of them at a time. No, I, I think it's great. And I think it's very important that you did mention all of these eating disorders. Although, as you said, we will dedicate a whole episode on each one in the future. And for those who don't know, uh, Alina is my psychologist and, you know, she helped me on my journey with an eating disorder. So still quite a sensitive topic for me, I would say. Uh, there are a little bit of triggers, but I thank you for bringing up set points because that ideology really changed a lot for me. And for anyone who's listening who does suffer from a disordered eating and they're so obsessed with weight, um, it's very important to understand that your body genetically will have a set point, very different from, you know, the other people that you look at and crave or want a body type like them. It won't be like that. So uh, that set point mentality really helped me understand that no, you know what, this is my body, this is my body type. And if as long as I eliminate the guilt and the shame, and I have a structure around the way I eat, you know, it will be okay, which is kind of what we'll talk about next is what would you classify as an unhealthy attitude to food? And we, you did mention in the beginning, a couple of the emotions that are involved in there. But I do want to maybe go into a bit more detail in that. And then then what would be a healthy attitude? And then how can we kind of distinguish the patterns with both? Mm. Okay, uh, so healthy attitude towards food, yes. I don't know if it's necessarily towards food or it should be a healthy attitude towards our body more mm -hmm. than anything else. Again, one thing that people suffering from eating disorder have in common is this negative body image. Um, and I think everything comes from there, right? Because the food at the end of the day, realistically speaking, we, we all like to eat food, right? It's uh, something that uh, we cannot control uh, that much. I mean, our brain and our body needs it. But um, um, the, the sacrifice we do uh, is, for, is because we're not accepting our body image. And we are in, a, in an unhealthy attitude towards our body, actually. So there's a lot of work in the therapy, in the work I do with, with, with my people on 
loving your body, accepting your body. Yes, your body will have certain aspects that you're not going to be happy about for sure, because we all have it. I believe even the most beautiful, you know, uh, uh, well-known people out there, they still be unhappy about a specific aspect of their body. It's impossible yeah. to just be perfect. But, um, and again, our own perception of uh, ourselves is very distorted and it's always going to be more negative than how we see others that also we know that bias but uh, so a healthy attitude needs to be towards towards our body number one mm -hmm. although this in therapy is worked almost uh, as the last part because it is the hardest thing to change and it's a very deep you know deep kind of uh, intervention or changes that have to happen um, so it's healthy attitude towards your body, healthy attitude towards yourself, healthy attitude towards that balance between body and mind. And the food, um, is just at the surface, right? Because food is almost seen as, um, as the, the quickest way to fix my body, right? If I don't eat or if I eat a certain way, then my body will be the way I want it or closer towards, mm. closer to, to the ideal that I have in mind. Um, because realistically speaking, food is food, food is fuel should be just, you know, I should just trust my body. And I always tell my people, trust your body. Your body knows what it needs to do. Your body knows how much it needs to eat, what it needs to eat, when. And so, um, healthy attitude towards food is simply, I allow my body to control this. I allow my body to guide me. Um, and the food is all good. I always tell my people, don't say healthy or unhealthy food. Um, yes, it's true that, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, in this society where we live in, it's, uh, it's this amplified flavors and added uh, things to the food um, because it is a business and because they want to sell as much as possible. And they work a lot on what releases uh, most dopamine in our brain. And we have to be a little bit careful with that to keep it under control and to keep my brain used to uh, release dopamine also on very, very more simplified foods, I would yes. say. Yeah. So just go back to the, to the nature more, to natural foods. Um, so definitely if I will only eat outside and only order food, for sure I'll end up putting on weight because this food is amplified on a lot of flavors and, uh, and very high on calorie. But I don't have to obsess about it. All food is good. All food is good. That is the number one, you know, message to give in terms of healthy attitude towards food. And all food is precious, right? Mm. Yeah, very interesting. Um, <laughs> it, it really shows that it is an ideology, you know, that you you can go back to. Because for me, there's a conception as someone, you know, who had a binge eating disorder of the, I messed up, you know, that if you had one of those takeaway foods, then you believe it's bad and then all it's lost. And then you just give up and you purge. And I think this is perhaps even a lot of in attitudes of people who don't have an eating disorder, but have that disordered eating that all or nothing mentality, right? That you diet for a week and everything is perfect. And then if you, one day you decide to have a piece of chocolate or ice cream, then you think that you messed up your whole diet and it's all over. You might as well give up. Um, how would you advise to someone who deals with those types of thoughts? 
Mm. Well, uh, there's a big, big work we do on the all or nothing thinking, as you well know, even from the cognitive behavior Mm -hmm. therapy approach, where um, the dichotomous thinking or this all or nothing thinking is considered one of the cognitive distortions. Um, so one of the, uh, from those cognitive distortions that we've mentioned in our previous ep- episode, there are quite a few that play a huge role in the typical mindset of a person that will develop an eating disorder, such as compare and despair, critical self, this all or nothing thinking. Yeah, these are the mm-hmm. typical uh, thinking patterns, incorrect thinking patterns, or unhelpful thinking patterns that appear in eating disorders. And we work a lot with, with people to go against these cognitive distortions or to correct these cognitive mistakes. Um, so definitely, as you say, <clears throat> people will uh, set a lot of control or set these rigid rules. And then the moment you break those rules, they'll experience a lot of anxiety and uh, they'll do something about it. Yeah. So this is the trap of of an eating disorder, and that this is where um, you know those perpetuating factors that I was mentioning about at the beginning um, come in play. Uh, you get trapped in this vicious uh, cycle. Mm-hmm. So literally, we go one by one, and we go opposite way to um, free the people from these traps. Yeah. But definitely, uh, the all or nothing thinking pattern is a big enemy. In uh, uh, especially especially in binge eating disorder and bulimia nervosa, yeah, it is uh, because they set rigid rules, and the moment they feel they they feel that they break one, doesn't matter if they break it or not, but they feel they they broke one of those rules, they'll feel a lot of anxiety and they'll do the incorrect behavior um, to to release that anxiety. Absolutely. And and sometimes it's crazy. It can be something so small, like adding mayonnaise that wasn't initially in my head, you know, in in my daily routine for the day or my daily food intake for the day. And then you think that whole thing changes. So sometimes it comes to show how, you know, deep it is. Yes, because, uh, sorry to interrupt you here, because um, people need to understand that an eating disorder starts somewhere and it will always, always go towards more until it becomes a huge cloud on top of your whole life. So an eating disorder never stays where it starts. Mm -hmm. It grows on you. So basically, if at the beginning you were just restricting, I don't know, I'm not eating burgers and I'm not eating uh, uh, cakes, Mm -hmm. you will end up only eating, um, I don't know, apples. Because uh, it's almost like an obsession that constantly, constantly will grow. And the brain will become more and more rigid about it. So I want all people to to really keep this message in their mind that if if they start on this direction of restriction or over controlling or it will never stay there it will always mm. go towards more and more and more except if they take action against it. Yeah. I do wonder eating disorder is it always about food and body image or can be things like stress or traumas or something more deeply uh, ingrained. No, no, definitely. As I said, in those predisposing factors, we can have Mm. uh, almost uh, everything and anything. So it can also be that a person has a feeling of um, something is they they go through something in their life where they feel they have nothing under their control. And the only way to feel they have some control in their life is to control the food and their weight, right? So it can be answering to that emotional need of 
having some control in their life, but it can also be to regulate their emotions or to numb their emotions. This we see it a lot in personality disorders where mm. uh, people that do not tolerate negative uh, emotions, they will tend to have to develop an eating disorder as well, simply to numb their emotions or to regulate their emotions. Um, we see it in trauma, definitely, as a kind of a, or we see it a lot in abuse, sexual abuse, for example. Um, they tend to self-punish themselves somehow through um, excessive eating, it can be. Uh, so these are simple examples. But as I yeah. said, it, it doesn't have to always be linked to or to be originated from the negative body image. Somehow, if we do develop an eating disorder, we will have some emotional discomfort, uh, different degrees related to the body image. Because even if I didn't have the origin of my eating disorder in my uh, negative body image, but in the end, I will Very have true. a negative body image, right? Very um, true. If I've been suffering from an eating disorder for years. Very, very true. And agreed on that. Um, Elena, as a final question, as I know we're quite short on time, but I would like us to take our time on this one, is about rebuilding a healthy relationship with food or what we like to call in quotation marks, a normal relationship with food. Because um, I've noticed that sometimes an eating disorder comes back, you know, I might be in remission for one year, and then I go on holiday, and I'm absolutely fine. But again, something happens and it triggers and then you go back to an eating disorder. And I remember in our sessions, you always told me that people who have been on restrictive diets with long list of rules often lose their natural hunger and fullness cues because they rely on like, you know, calorie counts and, and when to eat and how much to eat, et cetera, et cetera. So what would you advise people on who want to go back into rebuilding that healthy relationship with food and and st or and their bodies as well and how to kind of get back on that well it always takes a little bit of work and practice um mm -hmm. it is fully reversible any eating disorder is fully reversible but i do agree uh on the fact that a person that suffered from an eating disorder kind of needs to always be careful about not slipping back into that mindset. Mm -hmm. So um, at a point in their life when they might be going through struggles, they might be going through a loss, they might be going through a tough time, they can easily go back into that eating disorder. So in general, what we do is, uh, is the end part of uh, intervention with eating disorders, we really prepare them for the future to kind of have, a, it's called a maintenance, maintenance plan, um, short-term and long-term, uh, where they need to really, really pay a lot of attention to all these points, all these aspects that can tell them uh, very soon they are slipping back into the eating disorder and we ask them to take action immediately, not to leave it for a second, mm -hmm. basically. If you notice that you're going back into it, you immediately eject that CD of the eating disorder, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so they uh, they have to be careful their whole life basically because as you say you can easily slip back into it um because again most of the times the eating disorder is a coping mechanism for something else so because eating disorder is all about emotions and feelings so then we will go back to it because emotions and feelings are with us during our whole life um and then they really need to practice again and again and again the intuitive eating so then they allow yes. their body to take control when it comes to food rather than their brain the brain is not i mean the brain is working in the backstage anyway but 
but not at a level, uh, at a conscious level where, you know, as you said, we count the calories, we plan the, over plan the meals, we, uh, you know, we put those rules, we restrict, we, yeah, that is not needed. That level of control, rational control, it's not needed when it comes to the relationship with food. It's more let your body intuitively eat and guide you. Um, and just keep the general guidelines of I should always have my main meals. I should always be, uh, I should never skip. I should never delay. And I should never create rigid rules. But I can have general guidelines such as, you know, I don't overeat in on carbs. And I don't have uh, a pizza for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Or um, I need to simplify my meals. So very general guidelines, yeah? But I don't have to calculate and control everything, definitely, yeah? But this comes with practice. So we teach them what to do, and then we give them that practice while they are with us in therapy. And then from there, they basically are prepared to to keep it going this way and to be very aware of any, um, you know, red flags of going back into it mm -hmm. and getting themselves out very quickly. Absolutely. Would you also advise maybe in the beginning, keeping a diary of what they eat and their emotions when they eat it to kind of track and see how they feel on particular foods on and maybe when to realize that, okay, this food triggers something in me, but it shouldn't. And then kind of slowly, slowly changing that mindset as well. Um, that is a part of the intervention at the beginning, rather, at the first stages of intervention. And as we move on, actually, while we are in therapy, we also teach them how to let go of those food records, are called. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we, because that's not normal eating, right? Not people that don't have a problem with the, with the eating, they don't write down and of keep course. the food records. What we do tell them is, in case of you noticing that you going back into the eating disorder mindset, if the food record normally helps you see it clear, see clear what is going on, do it again as a tool to get yourself out of it. Yeah, um, but not as a constant um, as a as a constant behavior. No, because we actually teach them how to let go of those food records during our therapy. Because the therapy for eating disorder is not short. It's, it's quite a long process because we really need to address different aspects of it. Yeah, it's how we eat, it's the body image, it's the mood regulation, it's the, you know, those rules. Um, and then we're working on the part of letting go of, of the aspects we've worked in therapy and going more towards the normal eating. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Alina, thank you so much. Um, I think this is such an important topic, especially in today's society, as we mentioned, food and body image is a very prominent part of our life. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed speaking with you about this. And I hope, of course, in the future, we can go into a little bit more detail about each um, eating disorder and kind of emphasize and broaden on that. Yes, definitely, definitely. And I'm, I'm really, um, uh, I would like to give this message uh, to all people, uh, especially young people, because they suffer so much. We are not supposed to suffer uh, when it comes to our bodies and, uh, and the relationship we have with food. It's really life. It's uh, so beautiful and we can work on so many other aspects of our life. There's, uh, we cannot waste our 
precious energy, mm-hmm. mental energy on, on this part, because our body has it all <laughs> there to mm-hmm. take care of this. Uh, so please, please, beautiful people out there, do not suffer. Uh, look for professional help, uh, read about it, but don't just fall into being the victims of uh, you know all these confusing messages that are at the surface. Yeah, and of course, always a pleasure to be here and to share my uh, humble knowledge and opinion. And uh, yeah, I'm very happy we're taking step by step uh, another episode towards breaking that stigma. Right. Thank you so much, Alina. Very beautifully said. Thank you guys once again for tuning in and listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. 